All right, church, if you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 this morning, we're going to continue our study. And as you do that, um, I am pleased to be able to read uh, our opening text for us this morning. It says, you find 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read a passage of scripture from the Gospel of John in chapter 17, which is um, part of the Upper Room Discourse. It's the closing part of the Upper Room Discourse where Jesus actually prayed for his disciples. And so as Jesus is praying for his disciples in the Upper Room, he said this. This is John 17, verses 14 through 19. Jesus spoke to the Father, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is the word of the Lord. In February, there was a fascinating blog that was written about the term post-truth world. Post-truth world. The blog was written by Trevin Wax, who's a visiting professor at Wheaton College. And in the blog, he points out that in 2016, the Oxford Dictionaries, um, the word of the year for Oxford Dictionaries was post-truth. Because that's when the word began showing up in multiple articles about political movements in the United States and Europe. And so it was added to that dictionary. Post-truth by definition reads this way. Relating to our denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Wax goes on to comment, in a post-truth world, feelings trump facts, and personal subjectivity matters more than objective reality. Did you catch that? Feelings trump facts. Personal subjectivity matters more than objective reality. And if we actually have conversations with people in the world, we know exactly what he's talking about. We know exactly what's being talked about here. The dawn of a post-truth world cannot be created by submitting the word to the Oxford Dictionary. In other words, that doesn't mean that it's true. It it doesn't even mean that the word post-truth is in and of itself something that's possible. To believe that human beings get to decide for ourselves what is true and what is not is a lie. We don't get to define such things. And thank God. We aren't defining these things for ourselves. We don't get to decide. The definition and parameters of what's true and what's a lie have been set by God. And this is the God who created the world and everything that's in it. Not only when he laid the foundations of this world did he set for himself the standard, but he sets the standard for truth, life, love, and everything. We're called as the church to bear witness to the truth. When Jesus taught us, well, he taught us this himself, didn't he? He didn't just say this. He actually taught us himself what it looks like to bear witness to the truth. Remember when he was in front of Pilate, John chapter 18. In John 18, verses 37 through 38, Pilate is questioning Jesus. And in verse 37 of chapter 18, he says this, You are a king then, Pilate said. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And look at Pilate's response. 
what is truth? Boy, we've been asking that question for 2,000 years plus now. Way before then as well. But Pilate himself, isn't it ironic that the man who's supposed to be determining the matter of Jesus of Nazareth looks at the king of kings and says, what is truth? Sarcastically, as if to say, who cares? Here in 1 John, truth has been touched on in a number of sections prior to our text this morning. We've noted this before. John's using a writing style called amplification. He's not moving linear, so to speak. He's amplifying certain characteristics and certain subjects. He's taking core ideas like life, love, and truth, and he's cycling back around to them a number of times using metaphors and different descriptives while love and John around, but each time. And so we've talked about truth, we've talked about light. We've talked, we've talked on cycling. Each time he does, he takes us a little bit deeper into the subject. He takes us into a little bit more depth of understanding. And it, with those words of Jesus saying, I came for this reason to testify to the truth. Remember John's gospel. He wrote that. John wrote the gospel of John. I don't know if you knew that, right? And so he is, he is taking all of the things that we read in the gospel of John and he's making them relevant to the church. Again, he's saying, look, the Lord himself taught us these things. Jesus himself prayed this way. Jesus himself, when he was before Pilate, testified in this way. And the world's response has not changed. What's truth? And Jesus says, I am the truth. You can choose to believe it. You can choose not to believe it. It doesn't change the reality of the statement. He is the truth. You can choose to not believe in gravity. That doesn't mean if you jump off a building, it won't still pull you down right? You can choose to not believe in something. Say, I just choose to not believe in it. That doesn't make your opinion correct. There are things outside of us that predetermine these things. And we choose as believers of Jesus to read his word and say, I believe that what God has said is true, that he is outside of time, that he is the God who created all things, that he sets the foundations and the parameters. This morning, as we cycle back to truth, we go deeper and John calls the church to an awareness of the times we live in and the reality of truth, absolute and defined in Christ. The reality of truth that is absolute and defined in Christ Jesus. So let's look at the text this morning. First John chapter two, picking up from where we left off last week in verse 18, we'll read down through verse 23. Don't be afraid. We'll make We'll make good headway. You're like, oh, Mike's taking more than two verses. We are in big trouble. It'll be okay. Children, John says, it is the last hour. And as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us but you have an anointing from the holy one and all of you know the truth i have not written to you because you don't know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth who is the liar if not the one who denies that jesus is the christ this one is the antichrist the one who denies the father and the son no one who denies the son has the father he who confesses the son as the father as well. Amen. It's a good word. John again addresses us, the readers as children. 
We've talked about this a lot. Beloved, little children, children, it's a term of endearment. It's a spiritual father writing to his children saying, I care about you like a father cares about his kids. You need to listen. This is important. This is fatherly affection. He says, it is the last hour. You're like, Mike, that was almost 2,000 years ago. So clearly we misunderstand what the last hour is if we're thinking about time. Clearly we think about it differently. The last hour for me is I have five minutes to go or I'll be late. God sees time a little bit differently. The church sees time a little bit differently. If we look at it biblically, the writers of the New Testament speak often of the times in which they lived in being the last. The last days, the final days were here at the end, they would say. And indeed they were just as much as we're living in the last days right now as well. In the church era, we're living in the final days. This is it. God doesn't view time like we do because he's outside of it. He sees the beginning to the end. He works in human time, but he is also above it. That should encourage us. Because my whole life, I feel like I've been running around trying to make the most of the time. And God's not worried about it. God wants me to be faithful. Because he is the God who is faithful for all eternity outside of time. Amen? You guys, he knows the number of my days. He knows how much time I have. I don't need to freak out about it. I can just be faithful to do what he's given me to do. And you know what? Pray the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. Lord, teach me to number my days. Teach me to see that the days that I have are precious, and my task is to be faithful to the work God's given me to do and not worry about the rest. Eternity's in his hands. You guys, to understand the last days biblically, we have to see it from his point of view. Jesus has come. He's spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us through his word. Hebrews chapter one says, and he's given to his church, the Holy Spirit, and we await his return. These are the last days. Church, may we never get tired or grow weary of hearing this. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Never let that excitement wane. Never let that encouragement grow dull or cold or boring. You know, it's funny, like, I've heard people use this picture, and I don't want to go there with us, but, like, you know, you go to a sporting event, and, you, and somebody makes a great play, and the crowd just goes wild. You look at a group of believers in Jesus Christ and tell those whose security is in the Spirit's indwelling that Jesus is going to do all that he said he's going to do, and that he's coming soon. They're like, hooray, super. I got problems, though. You guys, I understand that. But just for a second, would you just rejoice with me that Jesus is coming again? It's exciting, you guys. It's exciting. I can't wait for the King of Kings to come and throw down here. I cannot wait for his rule, his reign, his glory, his kingdom. I can't wait. Sorry. I'm going to get excited. Not sorry. John speaks of the Antichrist here. This is, this is interesting. He speaks of the Antichrist. If you look at it in verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. But then he says, Even now many Antichrists have come. So here there's a combination of the Greek words. By the way, I don't know if you guys know this. Here's a little Bible trivia for you. You can drop this on your friends later who weren't here this morning. The word Antichrist is only ever used by John. It's only ever used by John in the New Testament. Now there are other words used to refer to the man of perdition, 
or the man of lawlessness, as Paul would talk about, to the Thessalonian church. But here, we recognize something. John is the only one who uses the term antichrist, and it's a combination of two Greek words. It can mean either the opponent of Christ or the one who seeks to put himself in the place of Christ. Now, what's fascinating about that is one will be an open opposition and the other a subtle infiltration. And William Barclay notes in this case, we need not choose between these meanings for Antichrist can act in either way. Now, here's the thing. John says you heard the Antichrist is coming, this being the end times ruler, a man of lawlessness from 1 Thessalonians 2. But John continues and says, even now many antichrists have come. By this we know that it's the last hour. So like, wait, what? there is an ultimate world leader that will come, that will be against Jesus, that will be against God. But here's what John's trying to get us to note here. There are many versions of this all around us. And John says, they're here right now. And church, they're here now too. The, the antichrists of this world are running all over the place. Those who deny the son. And remember what John said as we read it, and we'll read it again in a moment. Those who deny the son deny the father. You can't have either or. They're a package deal. They come together. They're unified as one. Church, it's interesting to me that it can mean either the opponent of Christ or the one who seeks to put himself in the place of Christ because I think that we see both kinds of opposition and we see almost the world. We see people who stand blatantly out against him. We see those who can the church with subtle little ways that are trying to deceive and, and separate people and cause division amongst God's church by teaching falsities about Scripture, about Jesus. John says, even now many of them have come. By this we know that it's the last hour. I believe he's referring back to the teachings of Jesus himself in Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8, where Jesus said, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Many will come in my name, Jesus said, and say, we're the ones to follow. You're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Are we not seeing these things now? And have we not been seeing them since Jesus ascended? We have been seeing these days since. Church, it's all reminders. When you see the wars and the rumors of wars, when you hear the news, when you watch what's going on in the world, it should remind us, look up, your redemption draws nigh. Jesus is coming. Don't forget it. But is it going to be in my lifetime? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Shouldn't change your focus one bit. One of my mentoring pastors as I grew up was convinced it was going to happen during his time. He talked about it often. He was absolutely convinced that he was going to be on this earth when Jesus returned. He's gone. He's dead. Does that mean he wasn't a man of God? No. He was hoping against hope, against every possible turn, that the Lord would come and bring his justice to this world. These are the people John speaks about as he's talking about these antichrists, these are the people 
who said the John said had formerly been in the church. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. He's not talking about them not showing up for church for a couple weeks. He says they took off, they left because they weren't sound in doctrine. They weren't sticking to the truths of Christ. He says, however, they went out so that we might be made, so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. These false teachers left the church on their own. They left on their own, and John says this made it clear that they weren't part of the church to begin with. Now, hold up for a second. We're not talking about people who, and I hope no one ever does this, but like when people change churches and are like, oh, we feel like God's calling us to be a part of this congregation, be a part of this church, those aren't the people we're talking about here. You know, you can't look at somebody and be like, oh, I'm going to go go to this church. I feel like I need to serve them and be like, Antichrist. If you're really a believer, you'd be here at Transform because we're the only ones teaching the truth of God. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. It's not true. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about people who are apostate. We're talking about heretics. I believe John's talking about people who were Gnostics. Maybe even some people who are subscribing to the docetism of the time. There was a lot of false doctrine being taught. Remember, this is third, fourth generation church. And when you get into those generations, people start getting a little shaky on the truth. They get sh- a little bit shaky on their doctrine. And that's why John, as a loving father, is writing to them saying, stick to the truth. That's why my calling, as long as I'm here in this church, is to look you in the eye and say, stick to the truth of God's word. Always stick to the truth of God's word. What do the scriptures say? As one of my, my mentors right now, Mark Halleck, Pastor Mark Halleck would say, he says, let the scriptures be the bad guy. If someone has an opinion, he goes, go to the Bible and show them. He goes, let the scriptures be the bad guy if you have to. He's like, you're just obeying what God says. Church, don't let your feet get shaky because there's so much going on in the culture and in the world. Stick to the truth. And may we continue to pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed to us. Sanctify us in the truth. And may we remember that his word is the truth. Amen? Stick to the scriptures. Stick to the word of God. These people were false teachers. And they were either in subtle or open opposition to the truth and the teachings of Jesus. And John said that's why they left. They had to. The truth of Jesus is not to be relativized. It is not to be spun. We are not to look at the scriptures and trying to find a way so that we can be who we want to be. We let the word of God shape us. We let God who created us mold us into his image. I'm not about being me anymore. You're not about being you anymore. We are about looking like Jesus himself. Church, the truth of Jesus cannot be relativized. It cannot be spun. It must be loved and lived. Amen? The truth of Jesus must be loved and lived. That's why he says, if you are in me, you'll walk in the way that I walk. He's made it clear to us. We don't have to wonder or formulate our own thoughts or how to be saved or how to glorify God. Jesus showed us how. He showed us how to glorify God. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one's coming to the Father except through him. John 14, 6. He's shown us his great love for us, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sin. John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. We must not grieve the spirit within us by sinning or losing hope because the spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, 30. 
He's given us all these things. He's equipped us to honor him with our lives. He's given us everything that we need. Church, may there not be amongst us one sliver of doubt that Jesus is all that we need and that none of us deserves the glory that he will be given by the Father on that day because Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, for this reason, because Jesus was obedient to the point of death on a cross, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. These are words of truth. The desire of these antichrists was to follow the Gnostic minds of their day that they were elite above other people that they were specially empowered because they themselves were special. It was something in, intrinsic to themselves. They sought to steal the glory of Jesus for themselves. That is the essence of the Antichrist, to steal the glory and the recognition of Jesus himself. Church, may it never be said amongst us, because I don't have the power to save. You don't have the power to save. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. There's only one who can save. Right? Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Transformed for all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 20 through 21, this is where this gets good. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. The anointing from God enables us to know truth. I have not written to you, verse 21 says, because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Know the truth. I don't think I'm telling you guys anything new. Even when I get worked up and I talk really loud. I don't think I'm teaching you guys anything groundbreaking or new here. John affirms that the churches he's writing to know these things. It encourages me when I see that in his running. He's like, now I know that you know this. Because I feel like a lot of times when I get up, I'm like, Lord, we, we know this. And he's like, say it. Preach it. Because it's truth and it needs to be remembered. It needs to be heard again. We're just like children. We read it in the text. We're like, children. We're like, I'm not a child. We're just like them. Go clean your room. Okay. You come in the room. What are they doing? Throwing a ball in the air. We're playing a video. We're like, I'm not like you. What? In your room. Oh, I forgot. So glad. Jesus loves We need to be reminded of these things. You guys, John says, you know this, but you need to hear it. This is a call to stand in the truth that you have already received. Stand in the truth that you know. B.F. Westcott says it this way. The object of the apostle in writing was not to communicate fresh knowledge, but to bring into active and decisive use the knowledge which his readers already possessed. He's activating the truth. He's saying, get busy with what you already know. Barclay said the greatest Christian defense is simply to remember what we know. How many times is that exactly what you need to hear in a, in a moment of brokenness? When you're sitting there like, this is terrible, this is awful, my life's a wreck, and someone comes up to you and says, it's not about you. It's 
It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of his name and for his kingdom's sake. Don't forget it. We need to remind each other of these things over and over again. Again and again, we're called to put into practice what we already know. I think of what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10, about brotherly love. Guys, you're going to love this. We have a lot of brotherly love in here. That's right. You know, <laughs> you know for some people, it probably creeps them out, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. We just, guys, let's just keep that brotherly love going. Hebrews 13, 1 says, let brotherly love continue. There we go. That's what I want to hear. All right. Sorry. About brotherly love, Paul writes, you don't need me to write to you. Hey, they were good at it too, because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia, big area. He says, you guys are good at loving each other. That's great. Notice what he says at the end. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. It's not enough to come in and say like, hey, guys got it down. You're loving each other. Good. Lots of hugging. Coffee. Good. Everything's good here. Ministry's happening. He says, do it more. Grow in your love for each other. Go further in that affection for one another. Let that love grow and continue. It's the love of the church. It's the love of God in us. And that's how Jesus said that the world would identify us as belonging to God. He said, they're going to know because of your love for each other. Church, we need to be reminded of these things. And John continues in 1 John 2, 22. He says, who is the liar then? Let's talk about this thing. He's like, you know the truth. You've been taught the truth. Who's the liar then? Who's the deceiver? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the crux of the issue. Denial of Jesus as the Messiah. If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the one who is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son, this is the Antichrist. This is the heart and attitude and mind of the Antichrist. No one, verse 23 says, who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. While affirming the distinctiveness of the Father and Son, he affirms that they're distinctive from each other. John also affirms their unity, just as Jesus did when John was present with him in the upper room. Remember when Philip made his request in John chapter 14? You know, I, I, I so associate and connect with the apostles on many levels, you know, mostly on the things that they say that should be obvious, you know, and that's usually me. And Philip comes and says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. I think he meant well. I really do. Just like I think Peter meant well when he tried to rebuke Jesus when he said that he was going to go to Jerusalem and die. I do think that Peter meant well. But sometimes when we mean well, we're just being plain stupid. I speak from experience. Philip comes to him and says, just show us the Father and we're good. And Jesus says, have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? Now, Jesus loves him. I think sometimes we read that and you're like, Philip, back to, the, back to your chair. Back to your chair. I'm going to make you sit next to Judas. Here's the thing. You guys, <laughs> you do not know me, Philip. He says, the one who has seen me, notice this, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me 
that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. He says, look at the evidence. And he says, Philip, you know me. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Distinct, yet one. There's no such thing as a post-truth world. Not when Jesus speaks in solid absolutes. Not when Jesus says, this is how things are. You can either accept it or not accept it. It doesn't change whether it's true or not. You don't get to decide. I don't get to decide. I'm just agreeing with God. I'm just agreeing with the scriptures. I'm agreeing with what Jesus said. Denial of Jesus and his word is not just to believe in a lie. It's living a lie. It's choosing to live a lie. It's embracing the lie of salvation through any other means besides Christ Jesus himself. No one who denies the son has any part with the father, but affirming the son is an embrace of the father as well. Affirming the son is an embrace of the father as well. Alexander Solzhitsyn, that's right, I said it right. He's a Russian novelist, was right. When he wrote, one word of truth outweighs the entire world. One word of truth outweighs the entire world. I make one alteration to the statement. The word of truth outweighs the entire world. Isn't that what Jesus himself said? I love reading things that people say and seeing it for the spiritual statement that it could have been. John 16, 33, I have told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. The word of truth outweighs the world. All their opinions, all their slander, all their hatred. Jesus, the word of truth says, I've overcome it all. There's hope in him. There's life in him. Beloved, yes, I'm calling you beloved. You've been anointed by God to know the truth. You must walk in it. You've been anointed by God for this purpose, to walk and live in truth. Trust in his wisdom and leading as Holy Spirit empowered new creations in Jesus. Church, let us draw strength from what God told his people through the prophet Isaiah. I love this passage of scripture. As he speaks of their restoration, Isaiah 30, verses 18 through 21. I think we can understand this in a fresh way as Holy Spirit-empowered church people. Isaiah writes, Therefore the Lord is waiting to show you mercy and is rising up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. For people will live on Zion in Jerusalem. You will never weep again. He will show favor to you at the sound of your outcry. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. The Lord will give you meager bread and water during oppression, but your teacher will not hide any longer. Your eyes will see your teacher. And whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Love that passage. Because we understand that as people who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, that God lives within us saying, this is the way, walk in it. He affirms the truth of Jesus daily in us. Church, stand strong in what the Lord has said. 
Don't waver. Don't turn to the right or to the left. And when you feel like your feet are shaking, this is the way. Draw near to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let that brotherly love continue amongst you. Care for one another. Be there for one another. This is how the world sees the work of Christ in his church. And never forget that he who has spoken is faithful. And according to Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? He will finish this work. Worship team, would you come up? Jesus has told us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. We're not left as orphans, but we're children who have been sealed into the day of redemption. And so, Lord, as we come before you this morning in gratefulness, I ask, God, that the word that has been spoken would be a word of encouragement to your church. Lord, that your people here would see that they are anointed by you, that they are filled with your spirit, and as Holy Spirit-empowered believers. Jesus, I just ask for us to entrust every bit of our lives to you. There are questions in this room, legitimate things that are going on in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would answer the prayers of your people. Lord, if it's through the hands and feet of the church or through miraculous provision, whatever you choose to do, Lord, hear your people's prayer. Lord, you are faithful to the end. And God, we just ask that you would, God, just mightily work amongst us. As we sing your praises, Lord, I just desire to pray this over your people. God, for this, your church here at Transform. May these be your words. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace.